All right, rolling into hour two on the big show. Kevin Calabro today at 11.30. John Feinstein at 12.30. That'll be an hour three, if my math is correct. We're uh, happy to welcome in for his weekly appearance right now from uh, from his fortified family compound somewhere out east of the city. It's Curtis Crabtree. Curtis, how are you, pal? Good, Gas. What's going on? Not a whole lot. Have you personally called Colin Kaepernick to ask him what his plans are moving forward so we can really get to the bottom of this whole thing? You know, I don't have that ability at this point in time, so no, I have not. I have not spoken to Colin to figure out what, <laughs> uh, what his plans are going forward. This, this story makes sense to me if, it's, uh, if, if we're to take what Rappaport reported as, as, as true, and, I, and I, I personally am going to, which is if, if the Hawks are kicking the tie, if any team, for that matter, is thinking about Colin Kaepernick, I think you'd want to say, look, we're bringing you in to be a backup. Who knows what will happen? But we kind of want to know what your, your social stance is or your stand on social issues is going to be so we can either prepare for it or assess whether it's worthwhile. This seems like a pretty reasonable thing that the teams would be doing. Well, I mean, obviously they're going to kick all the tires that they can and try to figure out you know, every variable that they have in place with the players that they're going to look at. But, um, you know, exactly how it plays out with Colin Kaepernick here, you know, I'm uncertain about it at the the current point in time. Obviously, from a football perspective, he would make some sense to come in and serve as a backup to Russell Wilson. Um, And obviously, Seattle has had their share of people protesting in different ways, uh, you know, the last season and change. So, you know, it certainly wouldn't be anything new to them, but you know, ideally, the person you're going to have in that role is never going to set up foot on a uh, on the field on a Sunday this season. And you know, at that point, maybe they—I I don't know—the calculus of the decision-making process that would go into it at this point in time. It's—it's it's tough to say, but certainly they—they they need to know everything possible that they can about the people they're looking to sign. And, and it's a great way of putting it there about how much has to go into it. And, and I'm wondering, too, you know, again, I said last week, in my mind, I asked Puck, who's the most important person in the organization. He said Paul Allen. I said, okay, I'll, I'll grant you that. But after that, it's, it's Russell, and I think you have to run everything through the Russell-Wilson filter. How will this affect him? We've already seen that Wilson's camp was, uh, I don't want to say worried, but was willing to reach out and say, hey, what's going on with you guys and Josh Allen? I'm wondering if you bring in a high-profile backup, a guy who has taken a team to a Super Bowl, a guy who has had some success, a guy who came a tipped pass away from winning the NFC Championship on your field, if that doesn't also make Russell kind of raise his eyebrows a bit. I mean, that that's part of what you have to put into what you call the calculus of all this, correct? I, I guess, but get over it. Like, if mm-hmm. you're the starting quarterback and you've taken a team to two Super Bowls, what do you have to worry about? Mm-hmm. Like, at the end of the day, like... Haven't you proven enough over the first six seasons that you've been in the NFL that it's your job? Like, for for them, for their camp to theoretically get as ruffled about potential quarterbacks the team is scouting, you know, Josh Allen's a little bit different because he'd come in as a rookie and and be there, you know, potentially as a long-term replacement to Russell Wilson, hypothetically. Finding a backup quarterback like Colin Kaepernick would be a different situation. But in the end, like, this is part of what their job is, is to evaluate the pl- players and prospects that are coming into the league. And, you know, I don't think Tom Brady ever threw a fit for the other quarterbacks that they've drafted throughout the years. I don't think, um, you know, Peyton Manning ever batted an eye when they had Jim Sorgi or any of the other quarterbacks they had backing him up in Indianapolis. Like, 
if you're truly one of those guys, and Russell says that he strives to be, I don't know why he'd concern himself with it personally. But, you know, whether how, how much he is or how much his camp is, it's tough to say. But in in the end, like, that shouldn't be a concern for, for potentially when it comes, specifically when it comes to Kaepernick and the idea of a backup. That shouldn't even be on his radar. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems to me, from a football perspective, if I'm the Hawks, I would go away from Kaepernick. Reason being, if you're really, and this is just my opinion, Curtis, and you can you can volley in if you agree or not, or you can say, well, guess that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, if I'm looking for what's best for this team, I'm thinking either draft a quarterback or bring in a young quarterback with the idea that at the very minimum you're getting two more years out of Russell. If everything goes off the rails, which I don't think it will, I think they'll re-sign him, I think they'll keep him, I think he's the long-term fit here. I, I don't know how much of a long-term fit you'd see Kaepernick as a backup versus, say, a young guy who could come in and spend a few years under Wilson, and then if things do go off the rails, you've got a guy who you've worked into your system. That seems like a better way to go backup quarterback-wise to me. What do you think? Well, you know, maybe ideally so, but as we've seen throughout John Schneider's tenure here, that Russell Wilson's the only quarterback that they've drafted. You know, we <laughs> right. thought he was going to go, you know, go about the Green Bay kind of way of making sure that they had a – a quarterback drafted every year to kind of come in and compete. And I don't think they have mainly because, you know, Russell has been as good as he has, but also because quarterbacks get overdrafted because teams are looking for them. So yeah, they might've taken a quarterback around later than teams took guys throughout the years, but they never brought in somebody outside of, you know, Trevon Boykin's probably the closest thing to a draft pick backup sort of guy that they've brought in throughout the years. And obviously he's had his own share of issues. So, you know, ideally that might make sense for sure, but uh, again, you know, and also it depends on kind of where where the team's going to be at this year. Is it worth it to expend some some change on a on a backup quarterback that's going to cost you know half a million million more than than a, a rookie or a, you know a first year second year sort of backup option could be um, when the team might not be peaking out the way that. Uh, you know, uh, kind of hitting a zenith sort of potential that, that, given the moves that they've made this offseason, that's another part of the conversation to bring into it as well. But again, there's a lot of variables with a discussion like this, and I don't know exactly how this one's going to shake out. It's funny you mentioned Wilson's the only quarterback they've ever drafted, and they took so much heat for drafting him. And I was sitting next to Hugh when the draft happened, and Hugh went berserk, and everybody kind of kind of gets on Hugh for, oh, you have Russell. Well, a lot of people thought the Russell Wilson pick was a big reach. And then the next step of that was, even if it wasn't a big reach, I was in the camp of people who were ridiculing the idea that this guy's not going to come in here and start. They didn't pay Matt Flynn all that money to bring him in and not have him start. So we were all kind of wrong about that. It's funny, and and it shows you how we're all circling and analyzing this stuff from time to time. And sometimes maybe they have a plan you don't realize, or sometimes a plan just falls into their lap because I don't care how much scouting they had done. There's no way they thought Russell Wilson was going to be what he became. I mean, right away. They just they couldn't have envisioned it working that well, could they? Well, no, because they would have taken him in the first round. There you go. That's a good like, answer. Like, <laughs> like if, if they thought Russell Wilson was going to be this, then yeah, they would have taken him in the first round. They wouldn't have let him get to the third round and let teams get two chances to to volley at him or anything like that. So no, they didn't know that. They 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 were encouraged. You know, they obviously scouted him. John Schneider was high on him and convinced Pete Carroll that this was a guy that they needed to bring in and all of that, but. You know, if they would have used the picks that they used on Bruce Irvin or Bobby Wagner instead to try to get him if they thought, you know, thought 
thought that that was the case because the quarterback is such an important position. So, um, I know they did. They didn't know that he was going to quite be this, though. They certainly had high hopes that he could be something, something that could help them for sure. Curtis uh, Crabtree is our guest on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline, our reporter who uh, who uh, does a phenomenal job of covering everything, including uh, uh, yesterday the arrival of Todd Liewicki back to Seattle. He leaves the NFL. He comes back to Seattle. He's going to be the president and and CEO of the new hockey team. You and I talked briefly right after that yesterday. Your, your thoughts, you've had 24 hours to think about it on on Liwicki's return, and would there ever be a president that could get hired for a new team that would get the kind of reaction that he got yesterday afternoon? No, I don't think so. And you know, partly because you know this is a market that doesn't have a whole lot of hockey, uh, hockey background, so it's not like they could go out and hire some some longtime NHL executive, and and most of the you know sports base here would know any different. You know, um, so I think in that regard, hiring a Todd Liewicki to be the face of the team, a guy who obviously was responsible for the hiring of Pete Carroll and you know in part John Schneider over with the Seahawks that got them back on track after after you know Mike Holmgren's era came to a close there in 2008 and, and the the disappointing season with Jim Moore in 2009 got that back going in the right direction. He's certainly a guy that the, the market's going to know and understand and. You know, given his success and you know, the, the fact that he was potentially a you know successor for Roger Goodell with the NFL for the last couple of years, if the ownership there had elected to go a different direction after you know some of the road bumps that Goodell's gone through over recent seasons, um, you know Todd, Todd's obviously got a great background with this particular market as well. He spent seven or eight years here. I can't remember exactly what it is off the top of my head during his time with Seattle. Obviously, he has a pretty strong connection here and. Given his brother's involvement in, in renovating the, the building and and all of that, um, it, it's the most logical fit you could potentially come up with for that position. I think if if things had unfolded differently, and if for whatever reason a year ago or two years ago Roger Goodell had stepped away and Todd had become the commissioner of the NFL, which would be a reasonable jump for the number two guy to make. I think he still would have done this. I think this situation presented itself to him and was too perfect. And you might laugh and say, why would he walk away from a job that was going to pay him the kind of money he'd make as NFL commissioner? Uh, I, Todd's like anybody. I think he's motivated to a certain extent by what his paycheck is. But I, I, I believe the way he viewed this market, the way he viewed, you know, he had talked to me years ago when he left about, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to work it out so we come back here at the end. I mean, this is where he wanted to spend his time this is the one city where he connected so it would have been interesting if he had been commissioner to see if if that would have played out <laughs> yeah that would have that would have been a probably more difficult seat to kind of leave <laughs> yeah, yeah in the end because of everything that goes into it and the fact that he would have you know hypothetically in this scenario would have been on the job only a year or two and i don't think we've ever seen that with a commissioner of, of the nfl that's just there so quickly you know obviously you know pete roselle and paul tagliabue had pretty lengthy 10 years and Roger Goodell has obviously been there for better part of a decade now as well. So that would be a little bit different for sure. But obviously with Todd specifically, um, it's pretty clear that he wanted to get back to Seattle in some form or fashion. And this presented just about the perfect opportunity for him to do so, given his background in hockey, his brother's involvement in the project altogether, and the position there for them to help build those things from the ground up. Hey, let me hopscotch back to the uh, back to the Hawks before we let you go. Dante Johnson signed yesterday from the uh, from the Niners. It's almost like the, the Hawks traded Richard Sherman for Dante Johnson. That may be how people look at it. It's a little unfair to Johnson. He's he's you know he's not necessarily come to fill Sherman's 
shoes, which is going to be an impossible task anyway. But how, how do we assess that? Here's a guy who has started a little bit in the league. Uh, here's a guy who is in your division. They know a little bit about him. How big a deal is this signing? Well, they also saved about $10 million in the wash there, too, by uh, releasing Sherman. So that's part of the equation as well. It's not a one-for-one with Sherman to Johnson, per se, either. But, um, you know, he is a guy that has some starting experience, can come in and, you know, give them a veteran option to compete for a job when it comes down to it. Um, if need be, uh, they'll have DeAndre Elliott coming back from the you know the knee injury he had last year in the preseason, and, and they're still high on him to compete for a job. Mike Tyson will be in his second season um, as well. Nico Thorpe will be back as you know at, least, at the very least a special teams guy to compete alongside Shaquille Griffin, and then whatever they do in the draft too. Not to mention the fact that Byron Maxwell still sits out there on the market as well, and they've had conversations with him exactly how this potential signing could affect bringing Maxwell back. I'm uncertain. I don't think it would hinder it, but um, it depends on the offers that he has out there as well. I, I think for the most part he's just a, a, a your run-of-the-mill sort of veteran option at this point in time. Obviously he did start all 16 games last year for, for San Francisco, so he does have some starting experience should they need to call upon it. Um, you know, you know that Shaquille Griffin and Justin Coleman are going to be two of your cornerbacks, um, given, you know, the fact Coleman signed his second round tender as well. But they are going to be searching for somebody on that other side, and whether that's a starter option through the draft, bringing Byron Maxwell back, having DeAndre Elliott come back and take over the reins. Uh, it's a little too early to say at this point, but uh, obviously it gives them another option there should they should they need it, uh, and, and so, somebody who's played a, a significant amount of games in the NFL. Curtis, uh, great chatting with you as always. We'll talk next week. Puck will be back so he can handle the heavy lifting of this part of the show next week. Oh, goody. Puck's back. (laughs) Hey, let's flag that. Let's keep that forever and ever. Curtis Crabtree with us each and every uh, Thursday at 11 a.m. And we talk Seahawks. We sometimes talk Mariners with him. He's a terrific reporter, and we're lucky to have him working for us and doing the work that he does. Kevin Calabro, who is the voice of the playoff-bound Portland Trailblazers. I'm not sure how much Trailblazers basketball you watch. I got to be honest. I, I find it oddly, well, I shouldn't say oddly, I find it comforting to have Calabro's voice booming through my house. I love it when they play like late afternoon, like East Coast games. And I've got it cranked up and just, just, I blast it through the heads. It's just, it's interesting to have that voice. It's a warm blanket. A warm blanket is exactly right. Uh, I think the, the Blazers are a very interesting team. And I want to I want to ask Kevin a few things about what they might be able to do in this postseason because they've got a lot of good young talent on that club and they finished with a nice win last night. We'll talk to KC as we continue with Puck and Gas without Puck on Sports Radio. Now back to Puck and the Gas Man on your home for Seattle's best NFL draft coverage. Sports Radio 950 KJR. All right, we're at halftime of the uh, the big show uh, at noon today. Lunch with listeners. We'll talk a little bit about the Mariners, who, by any definition, are off to a pretty good start, given all the injuries and the weird schedule they've had to play through. John Feinstein slides in to visit with us at 12.30 this afternoon. Oh, by the way, 12.30 tomorrow, Brad Evans, former uh, Sounders FC, current Kansas City sporter. Uh, will uh, be with us as well. One of my all-time favorite Seattle athletes. Brad was as good as they, they came and, and, and just did the job here for years and years. He'll be with us tomorrow. Right now, though, on the uh, the Beacon Plumbing Hotline, uh, here, here he sits uh, heating it up for us from down in Portland where he's taken a day or two to collect his thoughts before beginning what uh, 
what could be a long and interesting playoff grind for the Trail Blazers. Kevin Calabro. Kevin, welcome back. How are you, sir? Yes, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your show. Welcome back to the airwaves. I thought yesterday really was one of the coolest things ever happened to me because it just it felt like old home week when we had you scheduled <laughs> and you and you came up with something more important to do. I'm like, this feels exactly <laughs> like my old show. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, chaotic as always. Uh, yeah, double booking. So uh, you know, here we are. But you know, actually, uh, today's a better day than it was yesterday because things have, of course, shaken out, and now we know our the seedings. Uh, the Blazers are set to play as the number three seed, and they've got the New Orleans Pelicans coming at them with uh, the Blazers holding home court advantage. So I'm looking forward to that, looking forward to getting back down to New Orleans. I spent a lot of time there the last year. You know how I love that Cajun cooking. Well, and, and you're going to be right on the edge of Jazz Fest, so there'll be some good music if you if you fancy that. What's New Orleans like as an NBA town? It, it I always... You know they haven't gotten a lot of attention. They haven't made a big deep run or anything. But but when I was down there about a year ago, I actually went down to Jazz Fest and I saw the colors around. People were wearing the jerseys and the shirts and the hats. How's the league taken to New Orleans and how's the city taken to the league? Well, you know I think it's actually it's improved down there. Uh, they you know, they add Demarcus Cousins to that mix, and it's, it's too bad for them uh, that he tore his Achilles and of course out for the year. Uh, went down game 48 of the season. They've, they've actually played pretty well, uh, you know, considering what a, a, a tremendous force he is. They're 20 and 14 without him, and Anthony Davis is having an MVP-type year. I think any other year he would probably be named the MVP, but James Harden is playing so doggone well, and Houston, of course, had a great success. And I think you could also look at uh, Anthony Davis as a defensive player of the year as well. But I think all of that is certainly recognized out in New Orleans from the fans. You see bigger houses there. You see, um, in terms of attendance, uh, you see uh, more merchandise on the streets. You just get a feel that, uh, you know, it's obviously a huge football town. Mm -hmm. Uh, First and foremost, football is king down there. But I think because of the involvement of the players, uh, DeMarcus Cousins have been very involved down there. He's, uh, he, I guess, co-produces several concerts and so forth like that. So, you know, they've gotten out in the community, and I think that have done a real nice job as, as an organization. It was, I think, tenuous down there for years, but I think now they're starting to get their footing. And, and you're right, this is, a, this is a big series for them because it saved a lot of jobs. Uh, I know their general manager. I know their coach. There were, there were jobs up for grabs had they not made the playoffs. So they're in, and uh, they're going to be uh, very difficult, I think, in the first round. And they have, uh, they may be, but they have got their hands full with a guy who I have really come to enjoy watching. I know you have too. Portland's a good team, a deep team, a young team, but boy, it all starts uh, with Dame Lillard and the the job this young guy has done in emerging as a superstar, which kind of has come over the last two years, Kevin. Uh, for fans who haven't seen him, and I'm sure most people have, but the, this guy's game is spectacular. Well, he really is. He's he's six three. He's one ninety. He's got a a boxer's mentality. He's got great toughness. He's very poised. He's a terrific leader. Uh, he doesn't get too high emotionally. He doesn't get low. He knows that it's a, a long marathon. He's a marathon runner. I mean, he just keeps a a nice, steady, calm pace about him. He's a very durable player. He's ranked consistently in the top ten in minutes played per game over the first six years. Uh, that he has played in the NBA. Um, this year he's top five in minutes, uh, 36 and a half minutes played per night. And, and I mean, he gets it done. He's only missed 
seven games this year because of some nagging injuries, but fifth in the league in scoring. Uh, he's in the top ten consistently and assisted just under seven a game. Uh, he's a tremendous three-point shooter. Going into last night's game, he was second in the association in threes attempted right behind James Harden. Wow. Uh, and shooting 36% from three. And number one in free-throw shooting gas at uh, just under 92%. So you can see this guy's getting about seven and a half attempts a game as well from the line. So he's not afraid to take it into the paint, go to the rim hard. Uh, when he gets to the line, he converts. He's a crunch time player. He's among the leaders, top three in the NBA in second half scoring and in fourth quarter scoring as well. They have a saying here. It's called Lillard time. When in the fourth quarter, when you're down, you need a bucket or when you're trying to secure a win, they go to Damian Lillard and, uh, and he gets it done. But, you know, by no means is he carrying the entire the entire team. That's what I like about this Blazer team. They went from 41 wins last year to 49 this year because they're the sum of their parts. I mean, everybody chips in. Uh, may, it may not be spectacular, uh, but they, they do it by committee on, on a lot of nights. You know, and Lillard's got another guy next to him, fifth-year pro, C.J. McCollum, who's sensational. He's averaging 21-and-a-half a game. But Dame is the guy. He's been, you know, this is the third time he's been named an All-Star. He's been All-Pro twice, and uh, my, my guess is that he'll be named uh, – he could be named first-team All-NBA this year. I, I think yeah, you can make a case for him. I'm not sure if uh, if Terry Stotts, who of course was up here for years as an assistant with George and has been the head coach for several seasons now in Portland, I'm not sure if he'll tighten the rotation like most coaches do in the playoffs. But to your point, Kevin, I think I counted up 11 guys with double-figure minute averages for this team. I mean, th- that that's deeper than many NBA teams, and that's a, that's a guy in Stotts who has clearly learned how to divide that up. That can be the trickiest thing a coach has to do, but a lot of guys play for you guys. Well, that's a good point. You know, as I mentioned, the Blazers won 41 last year, and they really didn't add anybody other than two rookies. Uh, Biggie Swanigan, who you know quite well, following the Big Ten, Big Ten player of the year out of Purdue, West Lafayette, Indiana. And then the guy that everybody, of course, up there in Washington knows about and just played his freshman there at Gonzaga, and that is, of course, uh, Zach Collins, who did such a terrific job in the Final Four a year ago or two years ago. You know, a rookie, uh, the guy's seven feet, he's long, he's really coming along. He's played in 65 games this year and has been a real factor over the last two, two and a half months coming off the bench with uh, the eight-year pro from North Carolina, Ed Davis. Those two guys come in and give us a great deal of defense, uh, good screen setting. Uh, uh, Collins is really developing into a nice pick-and-pop three-point shooter. Guy can put it on the deck, take it to the rim, can post up. They're quite high on him. They traded two first-round draft choices to get him and to move up to number 10 in the draft uh, and had Sacramento take him for him uh, last summer. So, yeah, it's, I think that's one of the reasons that you've, you know, you've seen these minutes spread because you've had the development of good young players. Another guy by the name of Shabazz Napier, people may remember from the tournament, champ, two championships at UConn and um, uh, was outstanding in his, his last year there at UConn and the uh, NCAA was named the most uh, – uh, how do they put that? It's the MVP, but they call it something else in the Final Four. But, you know, a great college player, but, you know, kind of bounced around a little bit between Miami and, and Orlando and, and just couldn't find a, a, a foothold. But uh, he has found a great home here in Portland this year. And, and you're right, Terry Stott's very creative coach. At times he has actually started Napier with the two guards, uh, CJ and with Dame. And you've got – uh, Dan Dan Burke, the longtime assistant uh, with the Indiana Pacers, uh, after uh, the Blazers went into Indiana and 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 beat uh, 
the Pacers earlier this year called Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum Thing One and Thing Two. <laughs> we call we call Napier Thing Three when they put those guys out on the floor. <laughs> man, it's like it's like a Dr. Seuss book run a buck. It's crazy, and it creates a you know a whole lot of conflict for the other teams trying to track down three guys at that size and handle it and shoot it as well as they do. I was a little surprised a year, it's over a year ago now, but the, uh, the Nurkic trade, I didn't see it at first. I'm like, I'm not sure what they're trying to do here. And, and he came in and it's tough when you come in in the middle of a season to get up to speed. But boy, do I like his game this year. And then he gives you a, a I mean, you got a couple of good big guys, but he, he's, he, I, I just like what I see with this guy. And it sure seems to me like he really emerged as a guy this year who could be counted on. Yeah. I mean, he's 23 years old, guess. That's the upside. I mean, he's seven feet. He's 280. Uh, they they got him to shed some weight last year. He's quicker now. He can play longer minutes. You know he's averaging fourteen points, nine rebounds, a block and a half. One of the you know top fifteen shot blockers right now in the league, and, and a guy that's certainly capable of scoring double doubles on on any given night, and really coming on strong. And you know they they made that trade last year. The Blazers did uh, Mason Plumley uh, to Denver in exchange for Nurkic and a first-round draft choice. And that was one of those picks that they parlayed to get Zach Collins. So it was a great pickup. But Nurkic had been really inconsistent in Denver. He'd been unhappy. He was playing behind Jokic. He was just a great five-man there. Uh, but he got on board here. And, you know, it speaks, I think, to the leadership of Damian Lillard. Lillard took him under his wing. And, and Dame really now has made uh, Nurkic a, a great partner in screen and roll. The Blazers run a lot of pick and rolls. About 40% of Damian Lillard's assists go to Yusuf Nurkic, uh, the guy's just a factor. And, you know, last year after they made that trade, the Blazers went 13-3 and in the month of March and, and had another great March this year. And, and Nurkic is, is playing very, very well. I mean, he's, he's going to be a guy that's going to be a, a, a tough matchup for Anthony Davis in this playoff series. Nothing's uh, given, and, and the Pelicans will provide uh, certainly a, a rough opposition. But should the Blazers get through there, uh, it really gets interesting. Is this team young that it still is, but emerging as I think a team to really watch? Do, do, do they have it in them to, to go toe to toe with the Warriors if that's how it broke in the second round? Well, it seems like every year the Blazers, yeah, the right. Blazers are playing Gold State in the first round, right? So you know they've 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 been to war with the Warriors uh, last year. You just talking about Nurkic. It's uh, that's I think a, a, a pretty good segue. Nurkic did not play except for the one game because he broke his leg uh, two weeks before the end of the regular season. Uh, they got him back. He was, you know, he's not even 50% and played one game before they pulled him against the Warriors. But that screen and roll combination, I think, is uh, is going to be uh, tough for New Orleans to handle. It will be very difficult for the Golden State Warriors to handle because they like to switch everything with their size. Uh, they're all long, very, very mobile. Uh, but Nurkic has just got great mass and mobility. It's going to be a tough matchup for a guy like Draymond Green. I'm, I'm really, I, you know, I'm just hopeful the, the Blazers get by New Orleans. And, uh, of course, with great respect to San Antonio, uh, Golden State's going to have to get by them without Steph Curry. Uh, I was looking at the injury report today. It looks like Curry would be back in time for a second-round series. But, you know, uh, how spry is he going to be? How nimble is he going to be after a sprained knee? Um, you know, is he going to be able to to handle it and drive the way that he's been capable of doing, uh, which, of course, sets up his ability to shoot that great three-point shot from any kind of range. I mean, all of these factors uh, go into play when 
when you get into uh, into the NBA playoffs. Really looking forward to that. And what, just one other point, you mentioned the youth of the Blazers. I just saw a note this morning, the Blazers have the youngest team right now in the playoffs. They have the no second kidding. youngest team in the NBA, only the Phoenix, but the youngest squad in the playoffs. And, you know, this is a club that has been to the playoffs in the last five years. So, uh, you know, that's it's quite an achievement, I think. Fun club to watch. What about uh, out east? I, I, I'm tempted to say throw a blanket over the first four. You could make a case for or against any of them right now. And I think the second four in the east, all four are capable of pulling off a surprise. Uh, how, how do you see the east shaping up? Well, I think, you know, things really change with Kyrie Irving and that being available to Boston, yeah. uh, certainly, you know, in a matchup against the Milwaukee Bucks. I, you know, I think Boston with a home court advantage, uh, given that the Bucks have really kind of struggled here down the stretch. I, I like Boston in that series, but I don't like them to go any further than that. Uh, it looks like the Raptors are injury-free. Uh, you know, every year people predict that the Raptors are going to you know, achieve and, and get to the Eastern Conference Finals. We'll see. I mean, they're going to take on a Wizards team, I think, that's really hurting. They do have John Wall back, but I think Bradley Beal has just been played out. I mean, he's, he's <laughs> rung out yeah. and dead coming down the stretch. I, you know, the Pacers are terrific. That's, you know, of course, near and dear to our hearts, being from, from Indianapolis, Indiana, being old Pacer fans, and a job that Nate McMillan did, Mac 10, Mr. Ooh. Sonic, just sensational this year. You know, you consider you trade Paul George. They were predicting doom and gloom out there, and Oladipo's been great. Sabonis so has been terrific. And, again, another team that's in some of their parts, a young squad that won 48 games, sensational. But even though uh, you know, it's been a great story, I, I, I like the Cavaliers to win there. And and I like the Cavs to win the East. Uh, with all due respect to uh, to the Sixers, they're going to beat, uh, probably beat Miami, I think, in the first round. They'll be a tough, tough number. Um, Embiid's going to have to play with a mask because he, he broke the orbital bone around his eye. Uh, it's been, what, now a week and a half or so ago. That could hinder him a little bit. But, boy, that guy is. I mean, that dude is a force of nature. And Ben Simmons and uh, Donovan Mitchell are going to battle for that rookie of the year. Simmons is the closest thing I've I've seen to Magic Johnson since, you know, 32 is patrolling the floor. Hmm. Great comparison. The uh, the broadcasts have been really fun to listen to. You and Lamar have an, a nice, easy chemistry. And i got to say, I mean, I, I laugh out loud a, a couple times a game, but I don't know if I've laughed louder. And it's been over a year, so maybe I need to come up with a new anecdote. But you guys are doing where in the world are you rooting for the Blazers one night a year ago? And whoever's got their little Blazer shirt on is rooting for the Blazers at Loch Ness in Scotland. <laughs> and, and, and you say to Lamar, that's where, or you say it's Loch Ness, and, and, and you say to Lamar, that's where the Loch Ness monster lives. And there's a pause, and Lamar goes, yeah, but, but he doesn't really exist, does he? And then you paused the perfect amount of time and said, well, I don't know, but if you're swimming there, I bet you keep your eyes open. <laughs> <laughs> You sure do. Yeah, Lamar has a phobia with with sharks and with snakes, and I and I try to play that to my advantage on the air whenever I can. That's good. That's good. We'll we'll keep it up. And uh, big news for you, since you've done a great appearance for us on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline. All of our guests, the next time a toilet is clogged in any of the Calabro houses, call Beacon Plumbing. Use my name, and they'll be right there. Well, I was expecting a monkey wrench, but I'll take that, guys. Yeah, we'll send a monkey wrench in the mail, too. I hope you have a nice, long, deep run, Kevin. This is a fun team, and uh, it'd be fun for the fans down there to, to keep the season going for a while. So good luck to you to you and the Blazers, and thanks for the visit. Uh, thanks very much, and for you Sonic fans, uh, keep the faith. It will happen eventually. There you go. Long-time voice of the Sonics. 
with a uh, with a brief pep talk for the Sonics fans. Yeah, you know, after talking to Tim Liwicki yesterday, I'm a little more optimistic about that possibly happening here. The NBA coming back and uh, and how much fun uh, that would be. Meanwhile, and I know for uh, died in the wool Sonics fans, you can't even bring yourself to root for the Blazers, and that's fine. I'll tell you, I haven't watched them a lot this year because they're on a lot, and because I like hearing Kevin. They are a fun fun team to watch and i hope they're able to get past new orleans because i think a second round matchup between uh between the warriors and the blazers would be a very entertaining one for basketball fans everywhere back to puck and the gas man on your home for seattle's best nfl draft coverage sports radio 950 kjr Thanks for dialing us up today. Thanks to Kevin Calabro for uh, visiting with us. Uh, always fun to catch up with him. And the NBA playoffs, of course, start on Saturday. NHL playoffs started last night. Did you watch any hockey last night, Jackson Feltz? I flipped it on for a few minutes as I was uh, in the middle of other things. As we found out yesterday during lunch with listeners, it turns out no one in the Seattle area is <laughs> has a big, tight connection with the NHL. I'm very worried about this whole plan. That was an agonizing lunch with listeners yesterday. It just took, but I'm glad we got it done. Now we have our 16 guys, yep. uh, and they each have been assigned a team, and whoever wins gets 100 bucks uh, from uh, Georgetown Brewing. So that's a pretty good prize for sitting on your ass and doing nothing, <laughs> which is which is really what they did. They really nobody brought it. The one guy was from International Falls, Minnesota. That was kind of cool. And we had a caller from Vegas who was in Vegas, I guess. I, that's actually not a bad point. And then uh, who was the other one I was thinking? The guy whose ex-wife lived in Philly, so we saddled that's him right. with, the, with the Flyers who got beat 48 to nothing last night by the uh, Penguins in game yeah. one. You know, the Penguins actually, I was looking through everything, and, and, and the season series between all of the first-round NHL teams had been very tight, except that one. The Penguins beat the Flyers all four games and beat them like a gong in every one of the games. And then did it again last night. Just crushed the Flyers. And uh, Shockey may be right. Shockey, you know, very blunt with his assessment of things when they're not going to go well. And he's like, I asked him, I said, so the Flyers have a chance? No. <laughs> and I go, really? He goes, well, I didn't think the Eagles had a chance either. I'm like, well, that's because you're a miserable person. But, I mean, I, I think he may be right about the, the Flyers because, boy, they looked uh, they looked weak last night. Yeah, you talked about an hour ago as we had a few other things going on. There was some Clint... Dempsey news, and I've I've caught up on it. Dempsey has been suspended now for by by the league by MLS. Yeah, an extra game. So he got a red card. Believe it or not, about a month ago on March 18th for a violent conduct. He swung his arm back, and the initial angle made it look like he was swiping for the other guy's family jewels. Uh, he did not make contact, as we've now seen other angles. But they said mm-hmm. it's violent contact, so it's a red card. Okay, one game. But now they're saying it's an extra game. For what reason? They say just for the violent conduct. The fact that he's done it before has come up on uh, on various people's arguments. Uh, the fact that he clapped in the referee's face. They say it's an mm. undisclosed fine for that. This could be part of the extra game. U- ultimately, I think it's completely insane. Your hackles are up on this, I can tell. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous to basically suspend an extra guy for speculative intent. Because at this mm. point, he did not make contact. You see his arm cock forward and then go backwards. But mm. it, uh, from the second angle we saw, which was from another side, for the, uh, the different side than the broadcast, it was not near the guy's nether regions, which is what they said initially was the red card for. So why are you suspending and got an extra game for something you can't clearly say that he was trying to elbow the guy in that area? The dispensation of law and order within within soccer in general and within MLS, it, it feels to me 
is almost always messy. There's times like in baseball where something will happen, and even even the fans of the person who's suspended, yeah, that's probably right. And in football, yeah, yeah. But soccer, it seems like everybody's always upset about everything with this and that the game either needs to be officiated better. I've been in favor for a while of adding, you know, I don't know why they don't add it. How many how many officials do they have now in an MLS game? Is it three, four? Yeah, th- uh, oh, well, yeah three, and then you have a fourth one because of VAR. Right, for the for the video right, stuff exactly, and all that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why you don't think about adding another another set of eyes on the field. I mean, it's it's a it's a big game. It's played fast. It's played over a huge. You know, the NHL years ago went to went to they added somebody. The the NBA added a third. NBA used to be three ref, or two refs a game. They added a third. You know, the idea of maybe adding an extra set of eyes. I don't know if it fixes all this. It does seem. The other thing about this that irritates me is how long has elapsed. Yes. It's, it's like, you know, why not just get this this done? Now, Dempsey does have a nasty little history of being involved in these kind of dust-ups, uh, and, and mo- most notably in, in the, was it the Open Cup game against, was it Portland? Red card he, wedding, yes. Where, yeah, it, <laughs> you know, that was a low point in my estimation for the franchise. I just thought that everybody kind of, and I think they realize that it's easy to get carried away. Your emotions get the best of you. Can get, I think in retrospect, they all kind of agree that, yeah, it wasn't our finest hour as a, as a franchise. Uh, but in, in this case, it just seems like, as you said, this all happened in a game on March 18th. I also think this, and this is going to sound to some people like, well, wait a minute, you can't do it that way. I think the league has to sometimes consider who's involved in the crime. I think the Jordan rules exist. I think they exist across all sports. And I think you say, look, if he slugged the guy right in the right in the jewels, then he's got to sit down for a while. Mm-hmm. If he didn't, if there's a lot of doubt about this, if it's if it's like we're looking at it frame by frame, and you think, well, is he a, is he a pretty big star? Is he a guy people pay to see? Is he a guy people tune in on TV to see? If that's the case, then we're going to lean a little bit more lenient. Would be a little bit more lenient with him in the way we we handle the judiciary portion of this. I think if you don't think that's happening in other leagues, I don't think you're right. I think that's exactly how things go. And if the league is trying to send a message to say, "Hey, guys, you you can't cock your own forward and back," even if it, you aren't trying to go for the guys, you know, area there, nether regions. Yes. Is that the phrase you used earlier? I, I've I've trying to be. Can you point on the yes. charts on where your nether regions are <laughs> and if you were touched there? We'd like you to. You don't have to tell anybody. Just point on the chart. <laughs> but if you're trying to send a message of you can't do that, then this is not the right place to send a message to mm-hmm. in the sense of this is a, a guy who's who's been in this league for so long. He understands and been in soccer for so long. He understands what you can and can't do. Mm-hmm. This isn't a young kid who you're trying to set the tone for going forward in his career. He's probably in like the last one or two years of his career. Come on. There, there's, uh, you, you know, and you could do tit for tat. You could say, okay, well, guess what? Now somebody gets to slug you. You slugged somebody right in their nether region. Guess what? We get to we line up somebody to take a big old swing at you. It's uh, it just seems this is twenty three days after the fact, twenty four yeah. days after the fact. Uh, the video sure. I mean, what his intent was, who knows? It wasn't a smart thing. Don't do it in the first place. But if I'm running that league and I'm looking at continuing to try and build interest and continue to, and, and I, I, you say, well, you can't do that. The rules are the rules. Balderdash. There are exceptions. There are different rules and, and that's just how it's going to be. And in this case, it feels like Dempsey's probably done enough over the course of time and done enough for the league. You look and go, geez, did he, did he really slug the guy? No. Well, then you know what? A red card's going to be just fine for this, and, and, and that's that. One red card, yes. An extra game, insanity. 
Jackson will be hosting a special edition of uh, Sounders Weekly tonight at 7 o'clock. It's our Sounders Weekly Nether Regions edition, and it comes your way worldwide on the uh, iHeartMedia radio app. Uh, Carter Volkswagen Studio Magic continues with Lunch with Listeners. Your chance to win cool stuff coming up next.